I'm going to just tell you, the reason I'm preaching it today is I don't want to get any sense of a head that says, look at what we're doing. Everything you could measure at Grace Baptist Church is phenomenal right now. There's not a metric you could look at quantitatively, or I would even argue qualitatively, that's not really strong right now. In the church, the school's finding record enrollments. But it's very easy in a season like that where God is so good. We just bought two, two acres next door. A family of our church agreed to pay a third of the price, $375,000. And listen, that means we're going to write a check for a quarter million dollars and not even have to blink because of your generosity. Because it's already there, that and much more because of your generosity. And it's very easy at a time like that to say, look at what we're doing. And I have to be really careful with that. And so I'm preaching this as much for me as for you. But I heard, I heard this passage preached wrong several times. And then in October of 2001, I know I went back and looked at my notes. In October of 2001, so 21 years ago, nearly, I heard a man named Vody Bauckham preach this message at chapel. Anybody know Vody Bauckham? Any of you heard of Vody? Incredible brother. He got his doctorate of ministry degree under the same mentor where I got my PhD and at the same seminary. Vody's a husband, father, pastor, author, professor, conference speaker, church planner. He's been the dean of theology at African Christian University in Zambia. Incredible man of God and an exegete. He loves to exposit scripture. And there's two ways to come at scripture primarily. Much of what we hear in the church today is eisegetic, in meaning it comes from the culture to the text. This is what's happening in the world, and let's now find something that works. Exegesis, exit from the Greek, means I'm going to go from the text, from the context. So for today, Laodicea and 2,000 years ago, uh, Asia Minor, what was going on, and then how does the meaning emerge? And what you'll find is when you do it that way, it will connect to today. It will be relevant, but trying to be cute and relevant and then come back to the Bible to find a place to be cute and relevant just doesn't work. It doesn't build disciples. It doesn't put down roots. So Dr. Bauckham really loves to build roots, and here's what he did. When he preached that text, it blew my mind because I said, I've heard that differently my whole life. So what it caused me to do was go back and to really dig into it for myself. It's always important if you hear something that challenges the way you've learned something, dig into it for yourself. I did. I used every tool I could find at the time, and I found out he was right. And so I am indebted to Vodi for this message, and I even used some of the ideas as far as how he broke it apart. But the rest of it, I had to wrestle with God. I had to come to it on my own. But I wrote it a long time ago, and then I brought it up to speed for you today. And then the next three weeks, we're going to be in Easter. We're, we're going to be in Easter mode. So we'll be in the New Testament getting ready for the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So I'm very excited. Then we'll be right back in Genesis 3 after Easter. I have called this before the cure for the lukewarm church, but we're not a lukewarm church by any metric. I've called this the cure for lukewarm Christianity, but most of you really don't strike me as lukewarm Christians, so what I really wanted to do was look around and say, okay, I know what the text says in its context, and from that, from that, I can look at the world. And as I look at the world, I ask this question, what makes God sick? Because I cannot help but think there are things going on around us that are making God sick. And I mean violently sick. Back in the day when our kids were little, we used to do the holiday split like many of you. 
Cindy's family was up in the Richmond area. My family was in Central North Carolina. So most Thanksgivings, we loaded up the minivan, woohoo, and we headed to Richmond. We spent Thanksgiving with her folks. We spent Christmas down near our house because of the kids being small. Holly was just a baby. Heather was about four-ish, five-ish. And we're loading up the Honda Odyssey. You gotta love the Honda Odyssey. And we're loading that up, and Holly is a little baby. She gets sick on her stomach, and it's bleh. That'll really bless you right before a long trip in the car. And so we're cleaning all the nooks and crannies and trying to get the smell down because I'm not good with that stuff. Uh, and we're, we're, we're cleaning all of that. And about halfway up the road to Richmond, a three, four-hour trip, uh, Heather, I don't feel good bleh, everywhere behind my head. That's a real blessing too. And so we stop. We clean all that up. We get up to the hotel. About the time we check in, Miss Cindy, I don't feel so good. She goes to the bathroom. It's really bad, y'all. It's really bad. There's one great thing. I'm feeling wonderful, okay? I'm just I'm like, oh, okay. So my girls are all just out. I mean out. So I decide, well, I'm starving. I'm a grown boy. I can go get something to eat on my own. So, of course, I hit the luxury restaurant of Richmond, the 7-Eleven. And I go to 7-Eleven, and I pick out what I wanted because I knew I didn't have to share anymore. So I get the largest bag of peppered beef jerky that I could find. Then I thought, well, what would be good with peppered beef jerky? Well, that would be white cheddar popcorn. It's delicious. And then I thought, well, you got to have dessert, so I needed a roll of sweet tarts, right? And so I thought, this is going to be my supper, peppered beef jerky, white cheddar popcorn, sweet tarts, and then I'd wash it down with a one liter Mountain Dew. That is deliciousness. I go back to the room, everybody's laid out, everybody's moaning and groaning, I'm feeling great, I eat most everything I bought, and it was awesome until about 1 a.m. <laughs> I don't want to be graphic, but if you think peppered beef jerky's hot going down, <laughs> once it's mixed with all that other stuff, not pleasant. I don't know what's worse. Being sick or being sick and not knowing you're sick. Had I known what was already brewing in my system with that 24-hour stomach bug, don't you think I would have probably eaten some mild chicken noodle soup? But you put all of that sweet and peppery and hot stuff together, I'm telling you, it was like I was breathing fire for a while. And the reality is, there are a lot of people, and I'm going to just say, a lot of churches that are sick, and they don't even know they're sick. From the outside, everything looks great. There's glitz, and there's glamour, and things are happening, but the reality is, it's bad to be sick. It's worse to be sick and not know it. So in this text, we have the seventh letter. There are seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. Jesus is speaking to John the Elder, who's exiled to the island of Patmos. I got to go to Patmos a few years ago. I'd love to take some of you, maybe next year, if you want to do a Steps of the Apostles tour. He receives this revelation of God. Remember, this is the same John that wrote John's Gospel and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And what Jesus is saying is, these churches have some good things going on. I want you to give them commendation, but then I want you to give them a rebuke and sort of a recommendation. This is what you need to do. But Laodicea is different. The seventh church is different. It breaks the pattern. There's no commendation. There's nothing praiseworthy that the Lord's going to talk to them about. In fact, he's just going to come in and he's going to say to them, hey, you're making God sick. Now let me tell you how you need to cut it out. 
And so that's what I want us to see today. And I hope if you've ever heard this text preached or if you've ever heard something about the hot or the cold or the lukewarm, I hope we're going to all get the proper understanding so that we can properly apply God's truth. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. Let's pick up with 3, verse 14, Revelation 3, verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, so to the messenger. So what he's basically saying is this, I want this word to go to these people around Laodicea, this ancient uh, Asia Minor city. These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you. Yes, that's what it says. King James will say spew. That's what it means, up, chuck, throw up. I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is God talking through Christ. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I'll unpack all of that. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know how much I have just loved this passage of Scripture for two decades now. And I'm so grateful for men like Vodibachum who have stood and just expounded truth. I worried about being cute or cultural, but just expanded on the truth of the word. And they illustrate it beautifully so that it's memorable. But Lord, it's been 21 years, and yet I remember this message. And I would hope today that while I'm not Vody, I'm Bobby, that you have allowed me to wrestle with this word long enough to bring a word straight from your heart to the heart of our people. That we would not only hear for hearing's sake, but that we would be transformed by the living, powerful Word of God. Help us, Lord, to be hot or cold, but never lukewarm. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys, and be seated. So what are we going to do today? Since we're talking about sickness, let's kind of model it in that fashion. First of all, I want us to go to the proper physician, all right? If you're sick, you go to the proper physician. That is Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know it's Jesus Christ? Look at 14. It says, these things says the amen. So he's identifying himself. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Those are all pointers to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. You guys just yell out the answer. If you have a skin disease, you don't go to the dentist, you go to the? There you go, dermatologist. If you have a heart disease, generally you don't go to the chiropractor, you go to the? Cardiologist, good. If you have a spiritual disease, you don't go to Dr. Phil, you go to the great physician, okay? All right, you go to the great physician. we, We are trying to fix ourselves with the wrong physician. This physician is the amen or the amen, the so be it, the ending, the exclamation point. He is the faithful witness. He is the true witness. Those words mean his door's always open. 
He's always available. He's faithful to you. He's true. That word in Greek, aletheinos, means he's not fake. He's the real deal. He's genuine. He knows perfectly, and he's not practicing on you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He is a true witness. You can trust his diagnosis. Everything he says is accurate. He's the witness, the martus. Later, that would mean one to die as a testimony. But in this context, it's not really meaning that, but it's meaning he is the testifier to truth. The Bible also says he is the beginning of the creation of God. So watch this. He's the amen, and he's the beginning of the creation of God. And it says over in Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the ending of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end, saith the Lord. We know that this same John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made that was not made through him. Jesus is the physician who is the faithful and true witness. Now, verse 15, something that ought to make you take note. He says this, after identifying himself, I know your works. Okay, that'll either make you go, thank you, Lord, you know me, you know where I am, or it'll make you say, "Uh uh-oh, he knows. (laughs) He says he knows. See, when I go to the doctor, uh, well, I probably shouldn't say it that way. When y'all go to the doctor, I'm I'm allergic to doctors, I think, but if you go to the doctor, what is the first thing they want to know? What's wrong, right? Why are you here? What did you come for? You go into Jesus' office, I know why you're here. I know why you've come to see me. I know your works. I know what's going on in your life. You see, Jesus doesn't have to guess. Jesus doesn't have to ask what's wrong. You can fool anyone and everything else in your life, but you'll not fool the great physician. It should either give you great comfort or it should scare you to death today that Jesus knows right where you are. You know, back in uh, April of 2002, our oldest Heather had an opportunity to do a commercial. Heather, do you remember this? She had an opportunity with a dance troupe, or was it dance or gymnastics? I said dance earlier. It was dance, right? Because all of us Baptists love to dance. And so she was going to do this commercial. Great opportunity. Problem was she broke out just before they were going to shoot the commercial. We called the dermatologist, can't get her in. We called the pediatrician, we can slide her in. Took her to the pediatrician. Pediatrician walked in, looked at her, "Uh, I don't know what all that is. And that's never a good sign. They called another pediatrician in. Pediatrician looked and said, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Your daughter has scabies. Does anybody know what scabies are? Dude. They're little bugs that kind of bore under the skin. I'm thinking, man, we got a clean house. You could nearly eat off our floors. You got to, he said, no, it's nothing to do with sanitation or this or that, but you can get this little infection in the skin with these little bugs and the way you treat it, you and the whole family, by the way. Now, Holly's still a little kid. She's like a toddler now. You have to lather yourself with this thick lotion. You have to wash everything in your house and you have to just hang in for 24 hours and do not move, do not go outside. <laughs> yeah. So we missed the commercial shoot. Heather's crying her eyes out. We're upset. We go home. We lather up with this horrible stuff that supposedly smothers these bugs that could now be in all of our skin. And we're sitting there. And of course, I become an armchair physician. I begin to Google. I don't know if Google was around. I begin to search what, you know, skin condition scabies. It didn't look like scabies to me. It looked like eczema to me. And Heather had had a little eczema before. I thought, maybe this is just a flare-up of eczema. But we missed the commercial. The house does get spotlessly clean, by the way. But we missed the commercial. You always got to have a silver lining and everything. But we are sitting there miserable. 
We called the dermatologist back and said, look, this was the diagnosis. We've already gone through this. We've, it's been several days. Could you please squeeze us in? Yes. So we go through our regimen. We all get that mess off of us. We take Heather to the dermatologist. Dermatologist walks in, looks at her and says, well, that's not scabies. That's a little flare-up of eczema. Seriously? So we just went through all of this. You're trying to lather up a two-year-old. You're trying to sit there for 24 hours and smother bugs that were never there? Yep. She missed her commercial? Yep. She could have been rich and famous and taking care of her parents? Yep. <laughs> what was the problem? Simple, right? We went to the wrong doctor to begin with. We went to a physician outside of their area of specialty. They weren't bad people. This just wasn't their area of specialty. And when we take our problems, listen, especially young people. I know, I was one. When we take our problems to young people just like us, they typically don't know any more. They may offer very bad counsel. When you take your problems to people that are in the same rut you're in, or that are no closer to the Lord, that are not walking with the great physician, why are you expecting great answers? When you really do rest on your Dr. Phil's and Oprah's of the world, or a bottle, whether there's liquid inside or pills inside or, or the needle or whatever it is, when you're relying on other things, maybe even bad relationships, when you're relying on other things, well, guess what? They're likely to misdiagnose you too. And so we always start by going to the proper physician and then, watch this, we allow him to determine the accurate diagnosis. He gets to say, oh, no, 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 it's not this, it's that. So when we go to Christ, open. We don't have to say, Lord, let me tell you what's going on. We simply have to say, Lord. When we say, Lord, he says, I know your works. I know what's happening in you, Laodicea. I know what's happening in you, Bobby Lewis. I know what's going on with you. We allow him to determine the accurate diagnosis. The diagnosis here is lukewarm Christianity. I know you guys know this. You've heard this before. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, and so then because you are, here's the diagnosis, you are lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. Third time he repeats that. Because of that, I will spew, upchuck, vomit you from my mouth. Does the lukewarm church really make God sick? Yes, it does. That Greek word, emeo, is a violent word to rid oneself of the impurity. Now, how have I heard this taught? How have you heard this taught? This is the way I've heard it taught most of my life. Don't straddle the fence. Get in or get out. God wants all of you or none of you. You heard that, right? Don't play games with God. You better come in or get out. There's just one problem with that line of teaching. It doesn't accord with the rest of the Bible. There are people on a journey, some closer to the Lord, some farther away. God's not telling the people farther away, if I can't have all of you, I want none of you. He's never doing that. The prodigal son's father doesn't look at the horizon and see his son coming home and turn his back and say, well, he left the family. I'm not paying any attention to him anymore. The, the prodigal's father is waiting, looking to the horizon, and then the Bible says he ran and he embraced his son. The Bible does not seem to teach be all in or all out. The Bible, in fact, recognizes that people are in different places spiritually. 
Some of you today, you're not all in, but you're not all out. And I certainly don't want you to leave saying, Pastor Bobby said, if I'm not all in, I have to go. That's not what the Bible's teaching. Well, what is the Bible teaching? Well, in America, hot is associated with zealous and passionate and good. In America, cold is dead and lifeless and bad. The Bible wasn't written in America. The Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible wasn't written last week. So what's going on in its context? This is exegesis. This is what Vody helped me understand. And as I've been studying and preaching all these many years since, this is what I want to do every week. What does the passage mean? Okay, Laodicea in antiquity was known for three things. Primarily, if you study ancient Laodicea, they had a phenomenal banking industry. A lot of gold, a lot of precious metal in and around Laodicea. They had an incredible cloth uh, or a wool production. So what they had were black sheep. They were known to grow these incredible black sheep for their wool. And so the garments were just outstanding made of dark wool. Then they were also known for medicinal advancement. In particular in Laodicea, they had developed an eye salve. Now imagine in a world long before ophthalmology that the eyes were very important and a lot of people struggled with eye issues. They developed a salve that would often deal with infections and problems from the water. And so they had a, a great eye salve. So they're rich, they have great clothes, and they have medicinal advancement, particularly for their eyes. But there's one thing that everybody knew 2,000 years ago that Laodicea did not have. They did not have good water. What they did have was a city five to six miles away named Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for hot springs, great hot springs. People would come from miles around just to relax and get rejuvenated in their hot springs. Colossae, you've heard of Colossae, Colossians. Colossae, not that far away. Again, several miles, five, six miles, depending on the track, but about as the crow flies. Colossae was known for cold, refreshing water, very, very cold water. Unfortunately, I had no great natural water source. So back in that day, and if you travel with us sometime to these areas, you'll see them. There's still some extent. You'll see Roman aqueducts. The aqueduct system was built to carry water, almost all of it above ground, though, in that system. And so you would carry very hot water from Hierapolis several miles through the wilderness. You would carry very cold water from Colossae several miles in aqueduct through the wilderness. By the time the hot water and the cold water reached Laodicea, what temperature were they? Hello? What temperature were they? Lukewarm. Right? That's what happens. You pipe hot water a long ways and you can't keep it hot. You pipe cold water a long ways. So think about it. You're outside mowing the yard. You have a big, tall cup of water. You put ice in it. It's just ice cold. You're mowing. You're busy. You're sweaty. You're hot. You go back. You don't notice all the ice is gone. You don't notice how the cup's sweating profusely. You pick it up. You chug it. It's lukewarm. What do you want to do with it? You want to spew it, spit it out of your mouth. I was at the Sleep Inn, Wake Forest, North Carolina. I was working on some PhD work years and years ago. My body was exhausted. My brain was still rolling. And so it was about 1 a.m. I needed to relax, couldn't relax, threw my swim trunks on, went down to the hotel hot tub, the jacuzzi. I knew nobody would be around, and sure enough, nobody was around. Threw my towel down, didn't bother to check the water, jumped in. They would cut the heater off hours earlier. It was not hot at all. 
wasn't particularly cold, but it was cold enough to make me mad and cold enough to wake me up even more than I needed to be awake because when the water's too lukewarm or too chilly, you can't relax in that unless you're purposefully taking an ice bath, and I wasn't. And if the water you try to drink is too warm, most of us don't like that. And if you say, well, Pastor Bobby, I love lukewarm water. Well, praise God, you're weird. But anyway, so we... We know that hot is good and cold is good. See, the problem is what we've said is hot is good and cold is bad. All in or all out. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, Laodicea, you have a problem. You think you've got all this going for you. Listen, this is it. Listen to it. Your problem, though, is your distance from the source. Your distance from the source is so bad that you think you've got all this going for you, but in fact, you're lukewarm. And when you're lukewarm, I could wish you were cold, I could wish you were hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you from my mouth. You see, churches and Christians become lukewarm by getting too far from the source of living water, the Lord Jesus. We stop being Christ-centered in worship. We become people-centered. We stop doing evangelism and discipleship and mission. Some have even stopped preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God's Word, and we become silent on things, and we become soft on things, and we say things like, God whispers about this or about that. God neither whispers nor stutters. God's Word is clear. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Word will always endure. And when pastors and churches begin changing the Word and trying to change the ways of God, guess what? They're getting distant from the source. And you know what the Bible calls that? Lukewarm Christianity. It says, if you think you can do this on your own, you've got all this going for you, but you're too far from me. It's called religion without an active relationship. So we go to the proper physician, allowing him to determine an accurate diagnosis. Then, listen, a diagnosis is not enough. You've got to understand the underlying cause. Okay, now what's causing this self-sufficiency? Oh, I mean, what's causing this? That's the answer. Self-sufficiency. That's what's causing it. Self-sufficiency. Look at 17 and 18. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Why, Lord? Why do you want to vomit us up? Because you say, I am rich. Yep, that's what they said. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. You don't even know. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, Naked. Did you notice in those words he hits at all three of their industries? Poor. No, we're rich. No, you're not. You're poor. He says, but you're not only poor. He says, you're blind. No, we've got the best eye salve in the land. No, you're blind. And he even says, you're naked. And you say, no, no, no. Well, look at our fine clothing. Look at this black wool. Look how fine it is. And he says, no, before my eyes, you don't even have anything on. It's fascinating what the Lord does. You see, you go to the doctor and he says, well, you've got high cholesterol. You've got high blood pressure. Your sugar's out of balance. Well, then you need to say, okay, doc, what's causing it? Is that my diet? Do I need more exercise? What do I need to change? Okay. Now, Bobby's 11 years old, our son, Bobby the third. He gets diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I knew nothing about diabetes. We didn't have diabetes in the family. People, well-meaning people, good people came up to us and says, well, can't you change his diet? I don't know. I didn't realize how radically different type 2 and type 1 diabetes are. Type 2 often is, not always, but often is related to diet and things like that. But for type 1ers, the pancreas is dead or it's dying. Unless God himself breathes new life into that pancreas, my son will forever have to inject or have an external pancreas to give himself insulin. Lest his sugar go through the roof, his organs die. He cannot survive. A hundred years ago, type 1 diabetes was a death sentence to anyone. 
But now, by education and learning, we say, okay, his sugar's at 400. Doc, what's wrong? Type 1 diabetes. Okay, now that we know what's wrong, now we get the needles, the pumps, the insulin. Now we give his body what his body's no longer capable of doing on its own. And there's no need to huff and puff and stomp about it and say, oh, well, I can't believe that. Well, that's what it is, okay? That's what it is. And so now that we have the diagnosis, we understand the underlying cause and we treat the underlying cause. We deal with it like you have to deal with things. So what, what does this mean, though, when Jesus says in 18, okay, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. Jesus doesn't run a general store. What does that mean? You think you got gold, but you need my gold to be rich. And I want you to have my white garments. See, you got all your black wool. You think you're all that. I want you to have white garments that I'm going to provide. That's a, a symbol of righteousness that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness be real. And look at this, anoint your eyes with eye salve. What? What does he mean? Well, it's like Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come and buy milk and wine without money and without price. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Like the great prophet was, like God was saying through the great prophet, listen, this is not a money thing. You can't be rich enough to be right with God. You can't build enough big buildings. You can't be impressive enough. God made those great smoky mountains. Do you think he is impressed with the facades we put up in our lives or even as a church? No, no, no. He says, look, come to me. Come to me, buy from me. All that saying is invest in me. J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God, said, ignorance both of God's ways and the practice of communion with him lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. I'm gonna tell you why the church is weak. Look at us. Look at us. Look what we can do. A very famous, one of the largest conglomerate of churches, very famous, this week, senior pastor, forced out in shame. I was there in Hillsong, Sydney, a few years ago. I heard him preach. I was concerned. I've been concerned for years because of the eisegesis going on. Yes, some great music's come out of the place. Yes, I'm grateful for some of those things. Yes, I'm grateful for some of the advancements. But any church where people are going, look at us. Look at us, look at us, any church that gets away from, look at Jesus, look at what he's doing, look at how he's working in and through his people, look at what God's done. Anytime we become self-sufficient, I believe the Lord says, my hand of blessing, no more. Yeah, yeah, you can do it on your own. Go, go ahead, go, go ahead and try. And not just speaking of Brian Houston in the fall that we've seen, megachurch by megachurch by megachurch, but I'm simply saying the Lord Jesus is telling the Laodicean church, you lack spiritual value, gold refined in fire. You lack spiritual virtue, buy white garments from me. You lack spiritual vision, anoint your eyes with my eye salve. Jesus said you got all of the bling, you got all of the stuff, right? 
My kids used to say something like, you're on fleek. I have no idea what that means. But they were, they were, I'm sure that's way too old now. I don't know what the current terminology would be. But whatever it means to have it going on, they had it going on except the one area that really hurt them. The one thing they lacked. They were too far from a great source of water. And Jesus said, your church is just like that. You're lukewarm. You're too far from the source. Come home. You know, Lucy is too. This afternoon, we will find out if she will be a big sister to a brother or a sister. We have a party. It's called Gender Reveal. I didn't know you had to have a party for everything these days. But at my home this afternoon, we have a party. I guess it's better than Heather and Parker coming and saying, well, we'll just let the kid come, and in four or five years, they can decide. (laughs) I guess that would have been worse. And so we're going to have a party. And you can write me and you can tell me how crazy that is because gender is simply assigned at birth and I'll say you're crazier than a sprayed cockroach and we'll move on with our life. But Lucy's favorite phrase as a two-year-old is this, I do it all by myself. Whatever you want to help her do, honey, let me, let Jeep, I help you get up here. I want to get up to that or I want to get that or I want to go on the potty or I want to do, let me, let me help you, honey. Wait just a minute. Now, I do it all by myself, right? She's like a little Frank Sinatra running around our house all the time. I did it my way. I mean, it's becoming slightly obnoxious at times. I'm just going to be honest. I love her. But have you ever had a two-year-old that just thinks they can do it all? What's the problem with a two-year-old that thinks they can do it all? They're two years old. Now, do you think our heavenly father could be looking at us from his throne in heaven when we say, I don't really need God. I do it all by myself. I do it all by myself. And we can hardly put one foot in front of the other all by ourselves. Do you think our heavenly father could just shake his head and say, no, 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 don't do that. You're going to stumble again. Uh, You're going to fall. You're going to get another boo-boo. Don't do that without me. Friend, not only can you not put one foot in front of the other without the God who made you and who loves you and sustains you, you can do nothing of value. And no church can do anything of value. Unless God is the head, unless Christ is all in all, we can do nothing. And so any good thing we have, it is because a gracious God has given it. Quit saying I do it all by myself. Self-sufficiency is the underlying cause of lukewarm Christianity. And lukewarm Christianity makes God sick. The final thing we do, we have to have a cure, right? It's not enough for the doctor to say, your son needs insulin. It's okay, how do we get it in his body, doc? How do we get it? Well, we started with needles. Now, praise God, with technology, we have a pump, an external pancreas. That's a wonderful tool. What, What do we do now? We accept the only cure. And there's only one. Watch. Repent and stay close to the great physician. The only cure for lukewarm Christianity is to get back to the source. You see, 19, as many as I love, Jesus said, I rebuke and chasten. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to correct you because I love you. Therefore, be zealous, be eager, be earnest, and repent about face. You know, there's good news. God can take lukewarm Christians 
and lukewarm churches and turn them back into passionate men and women of God who serve Jesus and are used mightily in the kingdom. And things might look great on the outside, but we know in some places there's rot on the inside. God can take and bring health to the inside, and we can be Christ-centered in worship and have consistent evangelistic outreach and continue our global vision for missions. And look at 19 and 20, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous and repent. Behold, Pay attention, listen up. That's what he says. I stand at the door and knock. If you'll hear my voice, I'm going to open the door and come in and dine with you and you with me. Now, I know we use this in the sense of personal evangelism, and I'm okay with that, but the context is not necessarily Jesus standing at the door of your heart. It's Jesus standing at the door of the church saying, hello, You got all that big fancy stuff going on with your gold and your fine clothes and you got all those advancements and yet I'm not in there. How about I come in? And how about we rekindle a relationship? That's what he's saying. Now evangelistically speaking, it's true too. The Lord's not gonna force his way into your life. But when he says repent, that means about face, change your mind. Repentance never starts with hand and feet. It always starts with mind. Change your mind, and as God changes your mind, he then changes your heart, then your hands and your feet follow. It's not that God's telling the Laodiceans, I want you to be poor. He says, you are poor. It's not that he wants them to be blind. He says, you are blind. And so it's how we look at it. And at Grace Baptist Church, we could have all the money in the world, but if it's not about Jesus and for his glory, then we are poor. And we could have all of the advancements in the world, and if it's not about the Lord, then we are blind. You see, I want to remind you, unless you think, well, I'll just go to Jesus when I'm ready, that's not what he's saying. Jesus makes house calls or church calls. Jesus is already standing there waiting for you to respond. It's not that you go to him when you're ready. The physician is at your door. The physician is here. The physician is wanting to know, are you going to have an intimate relationship with me or not? Remember what I said about eating out with Cindy last week? He says, I want to come and dine with you because if you see two people dining together and you know they're in love and they're just looking at each other, they're not buried in their phones, they're communicating, they're looking at each other, they do not want you to pull up a chair and say, can I join y'all? They don't want that, guys. And I love you. Please say, hey, please say, hey. And then Jesus says, I want to pull up a chair. I want to be in there. I want to sup, the old King James, sup, dine with you, church, Christian. I want to have an intimate, vibrant relationship with you. Because see, the thing is, we start with the right person. We allow him to determine the proper diagnosis. We seek to understand what's going on, and this is true with any situation in your life, and then we accept the only cure. Now, you might be saying today, well, I don't like that. That seems too narrow. You're telling me that any and every church that's out there, any and every Christian out there that's having a problem, they just got to get back to Jesus? Are you telling me that's the solution? That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you they got to start with the Lord. Could it be that you're spiritually ill and in need of a physician today? See, God doesn't want you to cope. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. He doesn't say work hard and you may overcome. He says, just as I overcame, if you'll come back to Jesus, you will be an overcomer, right? Mandisa got it right. You are an overcomer if you do it God's way. And if you have ears to hear, hear. If you have eyes to see, see. Pay attention. There is one way to get healthy in your walk of faith. One way. 
Repent. First, be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. Second, walk with him daily in in the word, in prayer, in a fellowship of faith. If you're part of grace, be faithful at grace. If you're not part of grace and you're just visiting or tuning in temporarily, then be faithful wherever God has called you to be faithful. But stay close to the Lord. He said, but surely God doesn't offer just one cure for everybody that's spiritually sick. Surely the answer is not just Jesus and always Jesus. No, the answer is in fact Jesus and always Jesus. I close with this illustration as Jeff joins me. I got his permission to find out how he met Kim, his wife. And Jeff told me they were at a band thing and he was with a buddy and he looked and he saw Kim and he said it was her eyes that got me. If y'all know Kim, you know she got those beautiful bluish eyes and he said her eyes reminded you of Priscilla Presley, right? Oh yeah, praise the Lord. Okay, so he sees her and his buddy's kind of egging him on, man, go get her number, go get her number, right? And so Jeff, he kind of slinks over there, you know, he thought he was all cool, the, magici- the mu- musician, and he's like, hi, hi, hi. I'm, I'm Jeff. She said, hey, Jeff, I'm Kim. He said, hey, Kim, how you doing? It's good to see you. And they started talking just a little bit, and man, he's just, he's dying. He's so nervous. And he says, hey, I, I just, could I maybe, you know, do you think maybe if I could just, 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 just get your phone number? Well, back in those days, young people, you couldn't just hand them your smartphone and say, put it in. You had to write it down, go home to that crazy thing with the spirally cord, and you had to go, right? And so she said, yeah, I'll give you my phone number. And he said, okay, that's great, that's good, that's good, that's good. He said, I don't have anything to write on, but I got a pen, I got a pen, go ahead. You give it to me, and I'll write it down. She said, are you ready? He said, I'm ready. And she said, okay, here you go, 555, okay, 555. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. do it again. Five, 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 okay, five, 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 two, two, three. Ah, my, <laughs> my hands are too sweaty. It's okay, it's okay, it's all right. You just tell me, I'll remember. She said, okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Five, 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 two, two, three, four. Okay, okay, I got it. Five, 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 two, two, three, four. I'll call you, I'll ca- oh, uh, Kim. <laughs> Kim, I might not remember that. Could we just maybe make it five, 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 one, two, three, four? She said, Jeff, you can dial five, 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 one, two, three, four, but you won't get me on the other end of the line. Narrow minded, bigoted. I may have embellished the end of that story slightly. Okay, yeah, just. The first number she gave me was BR54. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. Was she narrow-minded for saying, you want to call me? This is my number. Is she wrong? Or is she making a declaration? Jeff, if you want to talk to me, you dial my number. See, some things never change. And some of you today so want a real relationship with God. And you've been told in your life, you either be all in or all out. And because you feel like a failure, because some days you know you're not all in, some days I'm not all in either. You just figure out, well, God doesn't want me. That is not true. Quit believing that lie. But if you want to get back to the source of living water, you want to stop playing religious games, if you want to walk with God, and you want to really communicate with your creator, 
then you got to dial God's number. And it is J-E-S-U-S. It's not that God is narrow-minded, but God has set a narrow way. And I would remind you that if there were a back door to heaven apart from Jesus, I would not be a Christian. I would not worship a God who killed his son unnecessarily. But there is one way. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and raised by the power of God the third day. He ascended to the right hand of God where he's mediating even in this very moment for each of you. He is soon coming again to call us out of this world. And either by death or rapture, you will soon stand in front of your maker. Are you going to be close with him? Are you going to be in a real relationship with him? Or do you make God sick? Stand with me this morning. A couple of things we're going to be praying for today. If you need to come because you've been taught wrong and there have been times you've been given up on the faith and you've even tried to give up on God and you've sort of walked away because you didn't think you measured up, good news. You don't measure up. I don't measure up. We'll never measure up. Only Jesus measures up. So you can lay that down at the altar and say, God, thank you that only Jesus measures up. Now, I want to get close to you. I do find myself distant. If anybody's moved, I know I have. And so you're going to come back because God doesn't want you lukewarm. Be hot, be cold. See, doesn't matter. One's not good, one's not bad. Both are good. But come back to the Lord. Don't be self-sufficient. Don't believe the lie that you can do it all yourself. As a nation, we can celebrate our independence from the tyranny of other nations. But we as a nation must not believe we can celebrate independence from God. A nation and a people without God's blessing will never be truly great. When we turn from self-sufficiency, we stay fully reliant on the Lord, recognizing all good things come from the hand of our gracious God. Yes, God's hand is on this church, but I fully acknowledge it has absolutely nothing to do with any human being or thing. It has to do with the graciousness of God. And I want to do anything I can as a pastor and a brother in Christ to avoid all of those things in my life or in the life of this church that make God sick. So as you come today, some of you need to keep praying for Benji Bash. It's been a, a tough road up and down. They, they're not gotten cleared to come back to UT. If you know them, pray for them. You need to pray for the conflict in Ukraine. This thing needs to stop. Too many lives are being lost. It's a crazy time. You need to pray for the state of this nation, the state of the church. Listen, I take no pleasure that a well-known pastor has had to step down. I take no pleasure in that because it puts a black eye on us all. You need to pray for the state of the church that we will speak God's truth with God's boldness. You need to come and you need to pray today for Pastor Michael and Miss Betsy. Pastor Michael's had a really rough season and things are challenging right now. If you know them, I'm calling you out to pray for them. They need you today. And then our lead videographer, Jesse Jones. Wonderful guy. He's been on the team a long time. Jesse's out today making recovery at home. Had a problem with his ticker. They were able to go in and find it, get a stint in. He's doing better and he'll be back soon. But praise God they found it. There are a lot of other things going on right now in the world and in our church. But if you think of any of these things or more, you can come and you can lay it before the Lord. As I begin to pray, the altar's open. You start coming. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to stand and proclaim your word. One of my favorite passages with a very special message. 
I used to misunderstand that text and think if I wasn't all in, you didn't want me at all. But what I realized is I had to grow close to you and stay close, that you would draw me to yourself. All I had to do was open the door. You would come in, and there would be an intimate relationship every day. God, there are so many days that I start to drift, so many days that I get farther from you. But like an anchor to my soul, as you said through the writer of Hebrews, you are keeping me short up. You are keeping me stable, and I praise you for that. Many things to pray for, many people to lift up today. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.